Hello and welcome to the Star Wars Saga Cast Episode 10. My name is John Wilson, and in this episode I'll be taking a look at the next issues of Pizzazz and Star Wars, both from Marvel Comics. These are the issues that were published in November of 1977, and that's going to be Pizzazz number 2 and Star Wars number 8. So, before we take a look at that, I'm going to go over to the Wikipedia to see if anything else came out this month. And lo and behold, we have the Marvel Comics Illustrated version of Star Wars, which was the six-issue adaptation with the coloring removed, so just the black and white line art, in a trade paperback, not trade paperback, pocketbook size paperback form. This is something that Marvel did in the 70s. They would take their comics and publish them in collections in pocketbook size rather than in what we would now consider a trade paperback collection. So I actually had three of these editions of the Spider-Man series. They didn't pull the coloring out on those for whatever reason. I don't know what the decision difference was, but my three Spider-Man books had um, his first appearance in Amazing Fantasy 15 and then issues 1 through 20 of Amazing Spider-Man. And those are basically my superhero comics that I grew up on for years. I, I got those things at a very young age. I think I was six at the time when I had the chicken pox. And I read those things probably at least 20 times over the few years as a child before I started actually collecting comics off of the stands at the comic book shop. So um, they're they're very fun. They were very affordable. I don't know where I got these from. I'm thinking my dad gave them to me. I have no idea where he got them from. Maybe he bought them off the shelves. I don't know. But the Star Wars adaptation came out this month and the other two books that came out are the ones we're going to be talking about those are pizzazz number two and star wars number eight so starting out with pizzazz remember this is the magazine that marvel's doing has lots of different articles and puzzles and games and other stuff in it and then they have a four-page star wars comic strip as well the cover on this issue has Spider-Man, the live-action Spider-Man from the 1970s TV show, skateboarding with somebody on a skateboard behind him. I'm assuming this is a frame from an episode, but it's an episode that I haven't seen yet. And I've been watching through those recently, but I haven't seen that episode. So... If you don't mind, I'm going to completely skip over all of the non-Star Wars material in here. There's there's articles about stuff that I have absolutely no context for, so it's kind of hard to tell what it is. But we return to our story of Luke and Leia on a mission with C-3PO and R2-D2 to go and contact the second main rebel base. Now, I was talking about last episode, the continuity between this story and the story over in the main Marvel Comics series. Because whenever Han Solo and Chewbacca leave Yavin 4, Luke tells them that he has to stay behind and look for a new planet for them to relocate to because the Empire knows about Yavin 4 and they're going to be there soon. And I was thinking maybe the continuity between that explanation and this didn't really work. But then I was thinking, well, who's to say that after Han Solo leaves and they're evaluating the needs of the Rebellion, that they don't give Luke and Leia a new mission to do on the way to look for other planets or on the way, you know, completely separate. So I do think that the stories are reconcilable at this point. Not that that's really that much of a concern for me, because as I said before, Star Wars is Star Wars. But I do like to have stories line up as much as possible with each other. So the story so far is that Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Luke's two droids have set out to establish contact with another group of rebels against the evil, far-flung galactic empire. But now, as their small starship slows down to below the speed of light... 
they find themselves smack dab in the middle of the Imperial war fleet. And C-3PO blames R2-D2 for this. He was helping pilot the ship through hyperspace, but R2's hyperspace navarods hadn't been fixed properly by the rebels at Yavin. And as C-3PO is yelling at R2 about this, R2 blurps back at him, but C-3PO says, being sorry doesn't help. Since they don't respond to the Empire's hails, the Empire figures that they're a rebel ship, so they want to capture it rather than destroy it. And two Star Destroyers each prepare their tractor beam. They move both toward the ship at an intercept course, and they're going to get two tractor beams on it. But just at the last moment, C-3PO instructs them to accelerate. They hit the cosmic overdrive, and the Star Destroyers' two tractor beams latch onto each other instead and pull the two ships into a crash, rather than grabbing the ship. Kind of a tricky move there. Good job. But the interplay of tractor beam and force fields didn't do their ship very much good, and they can't escape the gravity well of a nearby planet, so Luke tries to control their crash landing. But hey, it's an uncharted planet, which probably means it's uninhabited, and if they're lucky, they'll be the only living creatures on the entire planet. However, as they're heading down, we do see a rather large, green, gruesome um, creature of some sort waiting, watching them descend, and that'll be continued next issue. So you can kind of get a feel that these stories are little bitty strips. They're intended to give a very short, brief thrill of the story, and then you go on to read the rest of your magazine. However, a more meaty chunk of Star Wars storytelling can be found in Star Wars 8. At last, beyond the movie, beyond the galaxy, 8 against a world. And here we see Han Solo, a um, a very strange-looking Chewbacca. He's got some swept upswept eyebrows and and he looks kind of like a a cross between a cat and a walrus in the face it's very strange but behind them they have six new characters arrayed a walking porcupine a uh, looks like a sort of showgirl of some sort a droid on tank rollers a young man with a blaster a very old man with a lightsaber and a um an upright green rabbit with two blasters, one in each hand. So this is going to go into our story of... (laughs) To me, it's kind of a quirky story of Han Solo with this group of people he's going to recruit for his mission on this story. We're going to find out more about that in a minute. But they're all arrayed right here on the front page. I guess it's supposed to attract you. To me, it kind of makes me laugh. I don't know. And as they're all uh, aiming their weapons at something off screen, we do see the shadow of some sort of hulking monster looming in the foreground. We don't really see what it is, just just its shadow on the ground. Extra, in this issue, the deadly mission of Luke Skywalker. So I guess we're going to get some Lucanus in here, too. Open up and we have Stanley Presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all, by Roy Thomas writer-editor and Howard Chaikin artist-co-plotter. Join in welcoming aboard Tom Palmer as embellisher in residence. Okay, so they finally landed an inker, and it's the inker from the first issue that I didn't really enjoy very much. So we'll just have to see how this goes. Looks like he's also doing the colors, Jay Costanza's doing the letters, and Archie Goodwin is the consulting editor. The title is Eight for Aduba 3, continuing the saga begun in the film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. And we pick up in the local cantina, where Han Solo was just kicking back and having a drink and chatting up some ladies, but now some people have come in and asked him to go on a mission where he doesn't mind dying. But before he can reply, he's grabbed from behind by a large, green, slimy creature who's telling him that Azura is mine. You'd better keep away from her. Azura? 
The blue-skinned girl you were talking to before. The green guy starts threatening some more. Han Solo grabs a chair from behind him and smashes it over the guy's head, but the guy is not phased at all. So Han calls on Chewie to help him, but Chewbacca is strangely absent, and so Han Solo takes a punch across the face. As he flies across the room, he knocks over somebody else's drink. So they get upset at him, and Han Solo gets punched flying across the room again, only to land in Chewbacca's waiting arms. Gronk? Chewie, I was just thinking about you. And as the big green slimy guy approaches them again, Chewbacca takes the lead. He takes several punches from Mr. Green Slimy Muscles, but does not seem to be phased at all. And then we see Green Slimy Muscles flying through the window outside of the cantina. And the art on Chewbacca in this issue is, in my opinion, most excellent. It's very true to the film as far as his face and build go. I really like it. I like it when the Chewbacca in the comic looks like the Chewbacca in the film. Then Han Solo and Chewbacca are able to return to the man who had come in at the end of last issue to ask for his help. And they're from a very poor town on the planet, and they need a champion to go up against Sergi X. Arrogantus, the arrogant one. He and his cloud riders have been harassing the town, and so they need a champion. And Han Solo likes the champion part, but he doesn't like the being outnumbered part. Sergi X. Arrogantus has a much more menacing look than Mr. Crimson Jack, space pirate naked from the thighs down, did last issue. He, um... You know, he's got his blasters, he's got a nice rugged belt, his vest sure has the flared-up collar like you might see in a 70s sci-fi film, but it's got a really nice look to it. He even has spurs at the bottom, so he, he looks, okay, he looks a bit like you might see a Hispanic or Mexican marauder type from an old Western film. And I think that's exactly the look they're going for. I think they're trying to play this off as an old Western film set in space. The problem is that Sergiex and his cloud riders harass this village every year they arrive to take tribute. And if they don't pay, the cloud riders will stampede their banthas, burn up their crops, and run off with their wives and daughters to amuse themselves. So they're not good men at all. And Han Solo, despite the fact that he's outnumbered, decides to take the job, but he's going to recruit some more spacers first. And pretty soon, Han Solo has a line outside of his door. After he sees ten people who don't really fit his bill, Hedgie comes in, and Hedgie is the walking porcupine. He doesn't carry a blaster, but he does have spines that he can project from himself, basically like darts. I guess quills is a better name for it. I didn't know there were any of you spiners left in the galaxy. Anyway, you're hired. Next up is Amaza, den mother of the Black Hole Gang. She and Han Solo are acquaintances from a long time back. And she has a, um, yeah, the look about her is pretty interesting. She has thigh-high leggings of some sort. She's wearing underwear and a bra and poofy things around her shoulders, a rose in her hair, and lots of jewelry, not to mention the two blasters on her hips. So definitely a 70s space warrior girl type of thing. Han Solo knows her, so he hires her on the spot. Next is Don Juan Quixote of the Jedi Knights. And, okay, y'all don't know this, but I have studied Spanish. I uh, have a degree in it. I took several courses. I read lots of Spanish literature in college. And one of the things that you have to read, not have to read, but one of the things that I read in my Spanish courses was the Don Quixote, two novels published back in the 16th century. And they're basically taking a riff on that with this old man's look. He's got the goatee. He's got the mustaches coming out of his face. He has the bald pate. And he has a lightsaber. 
But not only is he Don Quixote, but he's Don Juan Quixote. So he's riffing on two things there. He was riffing on Obi-Wan, Don Juan, because that's how the one is spelled. It's a dash W-A-N. But of course, also there's Don Juan, the story, you know, you know the story. So there, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I can't see this guy as anything other than a joke. And actually, I guess that kind of works because that's what Han Solo sees him as, too. What are you talking about, old man? The Jedi have been outlawed since the rise of the Empire. But Don Juan Quixote is convinced that he's a Jedi Knight, and he demands that he be, or he begs to be allowed on the mission so that he can continue to be worthy of the name of Jedi Knight, which is exactly what Don Quixote was doing in his own story, going around on adventures, trying to be a caballero, trying to be a, a you know, a knight of old, saving people. Chewbacca thinks, yeah, I know he's crazy, Chewie. Doesn't even realize Darth Vader destroyed the Jedi years ago. But he won't get in the way too much. All right, Don Juan, you've made the team. At that point, Mr. Green's slimy muscle storms up the stairs trying to find Han Solo. But next in line is our standing walking rabbit. He insists that he be next in line. Slimy muscles insists otherwise and gives Mr. Rabbit a whomp for his troubles. But the rabbit comes right back up, and with his little bitty cute rabbit face and his big, adorable rabbit eyes, he insists that green slimy muscles go back to the end of the line. And whenever he resists, the rabbit gives him a huge kick in the face with his big rabbit feet, and that knocks the guy down the stairs. I saw that, rabbit. Well, hooray for your side. You must have been eating your space carrots. Never could stand them myself. And this rabbit's name is Jackson, J-A-X-X-O-N. You can call me Jax for short, which I ain't. Yeah, Jackson is uh, really good at making lots of little comments and then taking some random word from his comment and making another comment about that. So he's, um, he's a character. He's also a walking rabbit. Think Bugs Bunny with an attitude and green fur. That's basically what he looks like. Oh, and of course, the blasters on his sides. Next in line is Luke Skywalker with his pet droid. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, not Luke Skywalker, Jim the Starkiller Kid, who's basically a stand-in for Luke Skywalker, and his pet droid is both humanoid like C-3PO and rolls around like R2-D2, but he has like big old tank treads, and his name is FE9Q. So it's obvious that they're going in for stand-ins for Luke Skywalker since Luke's not actually part of the story in this issue, but I guess we'll forgive him. Han Solo says, give me three good reasons why we should take you along. And Jim replies, because I've been stuck on a dude with three all my life. And if I don't get off it, I'm going to go nuts. That's why. You ever fired that blaster at anything bigger than a sand rat? Sure. Lots of times. At, at dune cactuses, right? Well, yeah, but just give me a chance and I'll, whoa, put on your retro rockets. You know, you remind me of another cocky kid I used to know, name of Luke Skywalker. See, I told you that's why he's there, to remind us of Luke. He wants to get off his backwards planet, and he doesn't really have any battle experience, but he has a lot of guts, just like Luke Skywalker. So, since Han Solo's been reminded of Luke, and we're reminded of Luke, this kid's coming along on the mission. And since we were thinking of Luke Skywalker, that cues a transition, where we go and check in with him back at Yavin 4. And Luke Skywalker has been commissioned to head out with R2-D2 and C-3PO to look for another hiding place for the Rebels. Leia is very, very sad to see Luke go, both because he is a great pilot, but also, I think, because she kind of has a little bit of of a thing for him, you know? But Leia must stay behind, because now that her father is dead, she is needed both as a leader and as a symbol. 
which if that's the case, why do they send her off with Luke Skywalker to talk to the other rebel base in the other story? But again, you know, whatever. Different continuities maybe or, you know, different days of the week whenever they have different ideas. Who knows? If I'm going to continue to try to make a continuity between these stories, I will have to place this one after the one going on in Pizzazz because I know where this story goes. This story is going to end up intersecting with Han Solo's mission, and so this would have to happen after the other thing. Of course, I don't know how the other story is going to end up, because although I've read the, the Marvel Star Wars comics, I've never read the Pizzazz stuff before. That's all new for me this time around. So, you know, like I said, I've read some of the Expanded Universe, but not all of it. So we'll see how it goes. And as Luke Skywalker heads off in his own little ship, I say little, it's actually a pretty big looking ship, he's musing about his own unworthiness. How do I get mixed up in all this war stuff anyway? I mean, maybe I got lucky and blew up the Death Star, but I'm still just a farm boy, fresh off a backwater world like Tatooine. Uh, who are you kidding, Skywalker? You know you didn't have any choice. Not once you learned your father was one of the Jedi Knights, even fought alongside Ben Kenobi in the Clone Wars. That leads him to be thinking about Ben and Darth Vader, and then to think about Han Solo, and that cues us to transition back to Han Solo, who agrees that Jim the Starkiller Kid and Effie the Droid can come along with him. I'll show you how to use that blaster later. That's great by me, Solo. Come on, Effie. We've got some packing to do. Don't say it, Chewie. I know our six stalwarts aren't all that much, but beggars can't be choosers. Wrong. At dawn the next day, Han Solo grabs together his ragtag group. They have a meeting outside the hotel or motel or inn or sleeping place or whatever you want to call it where Han was staying. And just as they're starting to get together, who would you guess but Sergi X Arrogantis and his cloud riders fly up to give him a hello. How do they know that Han Solo had his group there? Well, because with Sergi X, one of the people on the Cloud Rider speeders is Mr. Slimy Green Muscles. We still don't have a name for him, but he's just, you know, big old hulking monster type guy. Oh, then we get a name for him. Han Solo throws a couple taunts his way, and he says, Just don't press your luck, or I'll... You will not fire Warto unless I give the word. Okay, so Mr. Green Slimy Muscles, his name is Warto. <laughs> Some of these names, wow. Sergiex comes down under a flag of truce to talk to Han Solo, offers to pay Han Solo off, but Han replies, They're giving us all they can, friend, and that's the best pay I've ever had. A sand rat like you could never begin to match their price. Now I've got an idea. How's about you and your men leave that village alone this year, and we won't have any trouble? Such unexpected bravado from one who leads women, children, and starship rejects. If I had known, I would have stayed in the mountains, laughing. That's going to be my Sergi X voice, at least, you know, for this episode. So Sergi X rides off, promising to make Han Solo one more lifeless corpse twisting in the desert wind. And with Han Solo's determination to save the village, we end this chapter. Next is Showdown on a Barren World in Star Wars Issue 9. So, I hope you enjoyed that. Next time, we'll be covering the next issues of both of those stories, Pizzazz number 3 and Star Wars number 9. The expanded universe in this era was basically limited to comics, although there was the occasional novel, and Splinter of the Mind's Eye actually is coming up pretty soon. So we'll have a couple more episodes before that gets here. 
Thank you very much for listening. If you want to send emails, I'll read emails on the air and special email episodes. You can send those to the Star Wars Saga Cast at gmail.com. If you just happen across this episode somewhere randomly, more episodes will be found at the Star Wars Saga Cast.com or on iTunes under the Star Wars Saga Cast. So thank you very much for listening, and until next time, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to the Star Wars Saga Cast, and good night.